Good morning. Just uh, want to welcome you again to Rock Valley Bible Church if you're new or visiting. Um, my name is Ryan Brown. I'm one of the elders here at Rock Valley Bible Church. And uh, Steve is, as Brian mentioned, not in town. He's um, in Kentucky right now on his way um, to North Carolina. And uh, so I'm privileged and honored and excited to, to open the word with you guys today. And so um, uh, my message today is from Galatians 3, uh, 6 and 14. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. But before we do that, um, I just uh, wanted to make a couple observations um, last week, I don't know if you caught this. I did because I was like, you know, expecting to preach this next week. And um, Steve made a comment uh, when he was going through Acts thirteen forty two when it said, you know, the people asked him to come back next week. And um, I don't know if anybody did ask him to come back next week, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't because you didn't ask him to come back w- next week that he's not here. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, and uh, and so. It was just ironic to me, and, and so um, he will. He's planning to be back next week, Lord willing. Uh, so, uh, speaking of this week, um, does anyone know like what today is? Yeah, let's hear it. Just shout them out. Uh, not what I'm looking for. No, no. It's actually uh, National Doorbell Day. I don't know if you knew that. National Doorbell Day. It's the day that the that doorbells get the most work out, so obviously it's National Doorbell Day. Um, anybody else know what other days it is today? Yeah. Shout out. Not what I'm looking for either. It's actually National Magic Day. Um, I don't know exactly what that has to do with how, uh, maybe illusionist, I'm not exactly sure. It's actually National Knock Knock Joke Day as well. We own this book and have heard many of the jokes from it. Um, read by Thatcher, and uh, if you if you have a few hours, you can ask him to read you some. Um, and it's also also National Caramel Apple Day today. Yeah, that's good stuff. It's a traditional treat on a day like today, and it's also also man National Girl Scout Founders Day. So shout out to all the Girl Scouts out there. It's the Founders Day today. They kind of you know get dwarfed, I'm sure, by the the, the, the day that you guys all said in the beginning, which was Halloween. So it is Halloween today, um, and yet, again, that's a, another uh, a day that, um, you know, however you choose to celebrate that, it's just a day that we can take and, and remember to pray for our neighbors, especially those that don't know Jesus. Um, but uh, it is also, as I heard a couple of people shout out, um, Reformation Day. So um, it's a day that we celebrate uh, the, God, the, the providence of God in uh, Luther's life and in the life of the church at large um, in heading to the church in Wittenberg and nailing his 95 theses to the wall on this day um, in 1517. And uh, now, you know, Martin Luther is, is obviously just, he was just a human. He's not infallible. He was uh, a very controversial figure um, and we have to remember that he was, you know, um, as he would say, Simul Justus et Peccador, so a saint and a sinner at the same time, and so there are errors in his doctrine and his practice, and yet with that one act, with this, with this, um, uh, the culmination of some of his, his life, he launched the Reformation, which um, established some, some core doctrines in our lives, in the life of our church, 
um, from a long time ago. And so we can celebrate that and remember that and, um, and really uh, thank the Lord for uh, the work in, in Luther's life. And Steve, actually, um, from those five core doctrines, the five solas of the, the Reformation, um, Steve actually preached um, a topical sermon series in 2017 on the 500th anniversary of uh, Luther, Luther's act. Um, in 2017, uh, just on the five solas, so there's Scripture alone, which is sola scriptura, um, faith alone, sola fide, for the glory of God alone, soli deo gloria, Grace alone, sola gratia, and Christ alone, solus Christus. So those are the five solos of the Reformation. They're all in Latin, um, for the kids' notes. They're in Latin. And um, that was the kind of discourse language of the day, religious discourse language of the day. Um, and yet, from, uh, from the Reformation, so we get those five solos, uh, wonderful doctrines that we are going to look at in greater depth in just a few moments here. But we also get another slogan. Um, and that is, or a motto, I wouldn't necessarily call it a slogan. You know, the reformers were really good at kind of distilling a lot of um, complicated things um, and, and really drawing out a lot of wisdom. Um, and so one of the mottos that came out of the Reformation, and they look really good on t-shirts too, um, is Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda. And what that means is, uh, it really, I, I think the whole motto was Ecclesia Reformata Est, Semper Reformata. So that means Ecclesia, uh, it's Latin, so if you speak Spanish, it's a pretty easy translation. It's church, the Reformed church is always reforming. Um, and so that idea of Reformation is that, you know, yes, our, we, we subscribe to the doctrines, the five solas of the Reformation, and yet as a Reformed, as the church that is Reformed must be always reforming to hold our life, our hearts, our minds, and our practice, our lives, in light of, uh, of those Reformed doctrines and the things that we believe. So we have to hold up and conform our lives to the doctrines that we as- ascribe to. Um, and uh, I think we can see that uh, really well in Scripture. And so, um, especially in the, the book of Galatians. And so, what I'm going to try to do today is um, a sort of mashup sermon, it, and so I'm going to take we're going to take a specific passage in Galatians, and we're going to take the five solos of the Reformation, those five core doctrines. We're going to kind of mash them up together and see how, um, and see how Paul, in his letter to the church at Galatia, was actually calling the Galatians to a Reformation, and so it's going to be you know. Uh, part topical, part exegetical. We're gonna, we're gonna be kind of, we're gonna be, but we're gonna anchor ourselves in Galatians 3, 6 through 14. Um, and so, um, buckle up, sorry. Um, but we will, we will, um, at the end, we're going to see how, uh, as Paul called the church to reform, to, to reformation, and, and Luther called the church to reformation, so we too must always be reforming, semper reformanda. And so, um, in light of what we believe. And so uh, we're going to start um, with the church in Galatia. Um, and so Steve is going to get through, uh, I'm sure going to um, tie, as he preaches through Acts, tie these two, uh, two things together because Galatia is actually the, one of the areas in which Paul traveled through in his first missionary journey. Um, as you've, we've all seen this for the past three weeks, four weeks, 
and his, also his second missionary journey. I, I'm, I'm guessing he'll probably use this map as well. So um, if you notice, uh, there is a big section, right, kind of in the, right in the middle, sort of, middle, a little bit to the east um, section called Galatia. And so there's actually, um, Paul is writing to the, to the church in Galatia. We're not exactly sure which um, part or, or um, how exactly that irons out, but in the, chrono- in, the, in the chronology of the Bible, Galatians is actually one of the first books written. And so it does come on the heels of Paul's planning, like uh, missionary journeys and church planning efforts in and around Galatia. And so I'm sure Steve will, will um, uh, establish a lot of this context, and, and yet I think it's important that we maybe hit the highlights. And some of those are, um, especially as we come into um, Acts 15 with the, the Judaizer controversy um, and the, the Jerusalem Council. And so um, what happened, um, or what is happening as Paul is writing to the Galatians, is some false teachers that followed Paul's missionary journey and plant, church planting efforts have come into Galatia and sought to persuade the Gentiles who have converted to Christianity in Galatia that they must also uh, be circumcised. They must also adhere to um, the, the Jewish uh, ceremonies and, and customs and the Jewish law, basically. Um, and yet, what Paul's arguing is that by for- forcing circumcision is that they're bringing the law back to bear on their lives. Well, actually, not even back because they're Gentiles, right? So they're not even bringing the law back. But what the Judaizers want is the law to come back and, 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 and bear down on people's lives. And therefore, um, by doing that, they're forsaking the salvation that's offered through Christ, which is by faith alone, or by grace alone, through faith alone. And so um, the Galatians need a reminding of the foundations of their faith. They need a reformation, right? The, the church in Galatia had seen Christ publicly portrayed as crucified, as we'll see, yet were being persuaded back to living under the law. They were, they were by, and then by, by following the Judaizers, they were um, deserting him who called them in grace of Christ Jesus and turning to a different gospel, as Paul says in, in Galatians 1, which was a gospel quote-unquote, of legalism, because it's not a true gospel. Um, they, had been, they had been transformed uh, at, from, like, darkness to light. They had, been, they had been, you could say, maybe even reformed, right? Reformed as uh, a people into the church, and yet they were drifting. And that's the case with Luther. That's the case with Paul. That's the case with Luther. And that's also the case with our own hearts and our own lives, is that both corporately and personally, we tend to drift. And so we must constantly be reforming our hearts and our lives to conform to what we believe, that salvation uh, is found in Scripture alone, by faith alone, to the glory of God alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And that is where the motto, Semper Reformanda, or, you know, Ecclesia Reformata, Semper Reformanda, really comes to bear is that if, so if we look, if we're looking at Galatians 3, 6 through 14 together, we'll see a, a picture, um, a snapshot, which if we expand it out to Galatia and even to the Reformation, um, that uh, we'll see um, 
those doctrines that were rediscovered in the Reformation were found in Paul's call for a Reformation in the church in Galatia. And so that's, that's also our call, is that we must be constantly reforming our hearts, our minds, and our lives to conform to what we believe. So if you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn to page 109—well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians 3. It's also page, 100, 900, page 973 in uh, the Bibles um, in the seats in front of you. We'll start in verse 6. Actually, we'll start in verse 5 because verse 6 is actually a clause that is, um, it's a, a verse 4, excuse me. Um, so verse 4 says, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come before you um, just humbly acknowledging that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and that uh, your word is truth. So we pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us in the truth. Father, may... um, just the the words that we that I say and uh, the concepts are clearly communicated. May um, you work in our hearts and our minds and our lives to transform us into the likeness of your Son, that we might um, be convicted of areas in which we are drifting um, and be drawn back, not um, not to more law, not to more license, but to more of your Son. And so, Father, we just pray. Uh, today for these things in, that they might be true in our lives, that they might, that your Holy Spirit might work and move, that those who believe in you um, might uh, hear your Holy Spirit speaking to them today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to, yeah, we're jumping right in to uh, the first sola. And so, like I said again, we're going we're gonna to use the solas as a um, a framework for looking at this passage of Scripture, which also then kind of um, uh, enumerates or, or explains um, and, and shows as an example of how the, Paul called the Galatians to a reformation. And by reformation, um, really what all I mean is, um, right, is just the, the dictionary definition of the word reformation, which is to make better. But in our um, in our context, right, to make better, better just means more good, and for us, more good would be to be more conformed to the will of God. 
So as Paul calls the church in Galatia to a reformation, we're going to use these five solas to kind of um, to frame our understanding of, of how that reformation um, takes place and, and how Paul uses, how, how we see these doctrines um, really at work in Scripture. So let's go to uh, verses, uh, verses 6 through 14. The entire passage is a, is, a, is a way in which Paul uses Scripture alone. Right? In combating those who have troubled the Galatians in his letter, Paul has set himself up to the Galatians, right? And, and if you look at in chapters 1 and 2, which we won't go into right now, but um, what he's doing is he talks about his history with this very issue, with the gospel itself, how he received it from God, and how he received the gospel not by any man, but as a, by a revelation of Jesus Christ, he says in, in verse 110, and that we are also justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And that's uh, chapter two, sixteen. So he's reminding them that he has intimate knowledge of the issue at hand, that he received this knowledge not from human hands, but from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So he's received revelation uh, by, from Jesus about the gospel. So he's, he's established his credentials, that justification is by faith, and that he has received that justification. And yet, as he begins his case in chapter 3, so he's kind of set that up, and now he's going to, like, verse, uh, chapters 3 through 6, he's going to lay out kind of the case of um, the case for uh, justification by faith and grace. And so, um, so he's laid that out, and, and in chapter 3, he's going to begin his case for why the Galatians should resist the false teaching of the Judaizers with a personal appeal. So in verses 1 kind of through uh, 8, no, sorry, yeah, 1 through, excuse me, 1 through 5-ish, 6 is kind of the end of that. Um, he uh, starts with his uh, personal appeal to the Galatians because he came to them, preached the word to them, and, and they were, they, they looked on the Lord Jesus Christ personally, right? It says, um, uh, verse 1, 3, 1, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That was him holding Jesus up almost as if Jesus was there. And yet, then he transitions from that personal appeal right into an argument from Scripture. And not just like one Scripture, he uses a whole lot of Scripture, like a boatload of Scripture. And uh, he packs six Scripture references from five different books of the Bible into these nine verses, verses 6 through 14, along with other allusions to scripture. So that's a, that's a lot of scripture. Just, um, at least it was for me to try to track down all of the cross references. So if you start now, it'll take you a while. Um, but what he's doing is, is really, really, like really clever. So he's taking, uh, so after he establishes kind of his relationship to the Galatians again, he's taking them back to the law because the Judaizers wanted the, the Galatians to go back to the law, right? And so what Paul does is he's actually going to use the law to refute the Judaizers, and he's going to prove his point that the gospel is all by faith through grace. Um, as Warren Wiersbe points out in his, commenta- uh, his, his commentary on um, Galatians, be free, he says, uh, since the Judaizers wanted to take the believers back into the law, Paul quoted the law. And since they magnified the place of Abraham, and Moses, I would add, in their religion, Paul used Abraham 
and the law as one of his witnesses against their very case. Uh, So our lives, just like Paul's argument, must be founded on Scripture alone. It's the bedrock of our faith, the holistic witness of the Holy Spirit through all of Scripture is interpreted in the light of the gospel, right? Our lives must be founded on Scripture alone. It's the bedrock of our faith, the holistic witness of the Holy Spirit through all of Scripture interpreted in light of the gospel. And so that's what Paul does. And if you look through 6 through 14, uh, he says it is written time and time again and uses those references to uh, the references back to the law in order to draw out his argument and to draw out the, the holistic witness of Scripture, not just cherry-picking verses. He's not, he's not just kind of going through and saying, this one proves my point and this one proves my point, but what he's doing is he's, he's establishing an arc of faith as righteousness throughout Scripture and using that um, in his argument, in, in his uh, reasoning for the Galatians to be reformed. And so... Um, and I think that's uh, uh, directly applicable to us, right? Uh, we must not be afraid to draw straight lines from Scripture where there's clear scriptural commands and clear biblical witness, but we also must not try to make indirect secondary doctrines primary um, when there's not a direct line from Scripture. Uh, the, like, when we talk about the motto, Sepa Reformanda, uh, always reforming, it doesn't, it doesn't mean we're always going to the next new doctrine or interpretation, um, but it does mean that by examining everything, we hold it up to the pure light of Scripture to ensure that the dross is burned away, and especially in our own hearts, we must hold up our beliefs and convictions and our thoughts to Scripture that our mind might be continually renewed, like Romans 12, 1 says. So in this passage, we can draw directly from it and from the biblical witness that Paul presents uh, that we are saved through faith alone. And that's the next point, by faith alone. And it starts in verse 6. When he, so verse 6 is kind of when he, he starts to go back to the biblical witness in Genesis 12. And he says, Just as Abraham believed, God, uh, excuse me, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before faith. No one is justified by God before God by the law. Excuse me. The righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So we see through uh, verses 6 through 12 that Paul is setting up a positive example and a negative example. And I think it's important to remember that kind of in the original uh, text, there weren't those like divisions where, you know, it jumps from verse 9 to verse 10, and the righteous shall live by faith. That wasn't in the original. So um, I think uh, Galatians is one of the more, is one of the more difficult books to establish that line of like, of reasoning because Paul is so like, he just kind of weaves everything together um, in this, in the book. Um, And so, uh, you know, I'm, not like 
<laughs> I'm not nitpicking that that division is there, but I think we can kind of step over it and not and think of it as like you know a suggestion about where to where to draw um, the line of thought. And so I think Paul is establishing two things here. He's establishing um, a positive example and a negative example. So in verses six through nine, um, he's we have the positive example. Um, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So he's using, he's using scripture to show the, the, a positive example of how faith is counted to Abraham as righteousness. And those who have faith, who have taken hold of the good news of the gospel, are recipients of the Abrahamic blessing, as Paul is quoting in verses 8 and 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. As we read in our scripture reading today, that blessing that God promised to Abraham and his children, that they would be a blessing to all of the families of the earth, that is fulfilled by us, us Gentiles. So if you're not a Gentile here, that's not you. But if you are a Gentile and you're taking hold of the promise of, of justification by faith alone, then through Christ alone, then you are part of that blessing that God has given to the entire world through Abraham. That's exactly what Paul is saying. And yet, there's also a negative example of how salvation is not of the law. So that was, uh, salvation is through faith, uh, in the blessing of Abraham, and yet, it's also not in the law. And so he's going to, he's going to also assert in verse 10, um, and through 12, the counterbalance, the negative example. Here's what he says. For all who rely on the works on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So this is the negative example of how salvation is not in the law. Because to try to keep the law, it's impossible. So even if you're coming to God by faith, you're not coming by faith to keep the law. You're coming by faith for salvation as a free gift in grace. And we'll get to that in a second. But what Paul is using is the negative example because he's saying, if he's setting it up and, and citing uh, Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus by saying um, that it's impossible to keep the whole law. That if you, if you uh, attempt to abide by the law, you're condemned. You'll find yourself condemned because it's impossible. Uh, James 2, 10 through 11 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a, transgress- a transgressor of the law. Law demands obedience in all things. You have to be perfect in every single, uh, every single of those Ten Commandments, and Jesus upped the ante on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so if, if you're not perfect, like God in heaven is perfect, then you are not 
well, you're not perfect. You don't get into heaven, right? You're not, uh, you don't receive salvation. Um, you, you are condemned. You are cursed uh, according to the word of God. And so, um, again, um, in Be Free, it says, but someone might argue that it takes faith even to obey the law, right? But Paul is quoting Leviticus to prove that it's not doing the law, but believing it that God requires. Um, law says, do and live, but grace says, believe and live. So salvation is by faith alone. And at the end of, of this passage, he quotes Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2, where it says, the righteous shall live by faith. It's not in obedience to the law or faith in law-keeping. We must remember that in, this, in, the, in, the, in the gospel, it, it, things are set up so that um, it's not run by an impersonal deity, where if you, you plug in you know, perfect law-keeping and out pops salvation, because, well, one, nobody can do that. And also... Coming by faith does not just equal more law-keeping. Coming by faith, uh, we're not coming by faith to this impersonal system. We're coming by faith to a God who revealed the gospel to us and allows us to enter into a communion with him. And that's where, for the glory of God alone, comes. And we'll keep reading through verse uh, 14. Um, when we come to the God revealed in Scripture and faith, we are humbled, right? He has revealed to us salvation in his word by faith alone. And uh, we can see in verses 13 and 14 that Paul is pointing to that end when we take hold of it by faith. And the end is God's glory. The end is God. We get God. Um, and so in verses 13 and 14, he lays it out. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the, we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Paul ends this section that he started by alluding to Genesis 12 with an allusion to Genesis 12. So he's kind of, he's wrapping it up. The blessing of Abraham and the covenant, right, in, the, in verse 6, um, in you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. He brings it all the way full circle in verse 14, um, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Um, so the blessing of Abraham, the covenant that God has established with Abraham, um, and has, sorry, the covenant that God has made and is keeping to bless the whole earth with Abraham comes to us. And he's also, not only is he um, referencing that Genesis 12 passage, but he's also alluding to Joel 2, Joel 2.28, where the promised spirit is poured out on all flesh at the day of the Lord, the coming, the, the, the beginning of the messianic age. And so, um, the Spirit, the promised Spirit that is also poured out on us. So if you think like Joel's prophecy, like Steve has talked about, the mountains of biblical prophecy, if you're looking towards the day of the Lord, which is the end of time, the end of time on earth, and, uh, and yet we also have entered into a day of the Lord where the Spirit is poured out on 
all flesh, on Gentiles and Jews alike, as we saw in Acts 11. Um, uh, the Spirit's poured out on us. And as we've seen um, in uh, 30 Days to Understanding the Bible study, that the Holy Spirit convicts, regenerates, indwells, baptizes, seals, and intercedes for us. That Spirit, the presence of the living God, of Jesus Christ, is in us. It's the first fruits for the day that when our faith will be made sight, as Romans 8 says, right? We have the first fruits of inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That is the Spirit, and the Spirit is inside of every believer. And so it's not only now, but it's coming. The day of the Lord is coming when our faith will be made sight, when we will see and glorify God, when the whole earth will marvel at his splendor and majesty. And Paul even starts his letter to the Galatians, drawing their attention to this fact. And he's, in, Paul, in, in Galatians 1, uh, he says, verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Yes. This God who has revealed himself in his word and whose splendor and glory fills the heavens and who calls the righteous to live by faith and is redeeming a people to call him Abba, Father, as it says in Galatians 4. Um, they will call him, we will call him Father for all eternity. And yet, he does not do this because of anything meritorious, anything that we have earned, uh, anything that we have done, he doesn't do that because of what we've done, but he does it solely because of his grace. And that's where we see sola gratia in verses 13 and 14. Paul reminds uh, the Galatians that the free gift of God, the free gift of God of salvation through faith, is given to everyone. And in the, he reminds the Galatians of Christ's substitutionary atonement in verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And that is true not only for the church in Galatia, but also for us who believe the gospel. Christ became a curse for us, not because of anything that we've done. We have zero chance without Jesus. If we try to keep the law, if we try to um, have faith in our law keeping or have faith to keep the law, we're condemned. But Christ redeemed us. Right? In verse 14 it says, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Uh, and verses 13 and 14 parallel Romans 8, 3 and 4, which says, um, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead if we tried to keep the law. We were condemned. But God has done what the law could not do because it was weakened by sinful flesh. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that's Verse 14, we have the promised spirit through faith when we've received it through faith. The undeserved favor of not only having our sins forgiven, 
but having the living presence of God, the gift of spirit within us, that is the key that Paul lays out to Reformation. The undeserved favor of not only having our sins forgiven, but having the living presence of God, the gift of the spirit within us, is the key to our Reformation. Paul's re- Paul is providing the antidote to the poison of legalism that has seeped into our flesh from the fall. The Judaizers were calling the Galatians to keep the law, to earn salvation. And that has seeped into us from the beginning where the the serpent spoke to Eve and said, and and she believed the lie that that there was something that God was holding out on her, that she, um, she believed the lie that she needed that there was something that she couldn't do because of of what God had said, and that she was the one that would determine that. Um, she separated the law of God from the person of God. Right? The it, it seeped into our flesh from the fall. The Galatians didn't need to turn away from legalism and then move towards less law. They didn't need to be. They didn't need to reject the law and move towards like a, a position of like anti-law. Um, another word for that would be like antinomianism, which just rejects the law completely. Um, so they, they're not moving from legalism to a rejection of the law, which would be license or antinomianism, but they needed to turn away from both of those be, uh, and embrace the Spirit, embrace the Holy Spirit that is given in Christ Jesus. Because legalism and licentiousness spring from the same rotten well. They spring from that very first lie of the fall that that separates the good and just and right word of God, the law of God, from the person of God. So they, it divorces those two things. And both legalism and license are, are ways in which uh, we um, separate the good and, and just God from his law, from his word. And we, it makes it into this impersonal thing that we fight and, and wrestle with in order to, one, if we're, if we're legalistic, right, if we're a legalistic bent, it means we use the law as a means to get to God. Uh, but, and yet any failure to live up to that law loses God. So by, by trying to earn our salvation through the law, we're losing God. Um, so by separating the law and God, we lose both of them. And the same is true with antinomianism. So the same is true with that anti-law. By rejecting both the law, we're, we're rejecting both the law and the lawgiver because you can't separate them. We try to, and so we, we end up condemned because of uh, chasing after sin in uh, rejecting the law. Uh, because we're both, both of them are inclined to separate God, the, the law of God, from the person of God. We must reject both legalism and anti-legalism or anti-nomianism and embrace what Paul calls us to in uh, Galatians 3 and in all of Galatians. We need to embrace grace. Because grace grace comes to the legalist and the anti-nomian. anti-nomian. And it says, uh, you know, if, if you're an anti-nomian-inclined unbeliever you're sp- and you spiral in thinking that you're following your heart when really you've, you've indulged your sin and rejected God. Or if you're a legalistic-inclined uh, unbeliever, legalistically-inclined unbeliever, think that you have to be perfect 
to come to God, that you have to do all of the right things in order to come to God. And that's none of that is true. Right? As Paul says in Ephesians, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves so that no one may boast. It's a gift of God. And, and it also comes to us believers, the antinomian-inclined believer who struggles to obey clear commands of Scripture, where there are straight lines from the biblical witness to how we should behave. Or the, the legalistic-inclined believer who has a laundry list of things that every good Christian does. And, what, and if they don't uh, do them, then we judge them. And yet, um, the legalistically-inclined believers don't live up to their list themselves. And so we don't walk from one end of a pendulum to another. We don't swing from one end of a pendulum to another. We're not on a spectrum between law and anti-law. We reject that spectrum, and we must throw it away and turn towards grace. Grace rescues us from that back and forth between sin, like between the anti-law of sin and the sweat of your own brow law. And that is, I believe, that is a, a big driver of frustrated sanctification in the lives of believers. Rather than, rather than thinking that you need to walk and reject law and move towards license or reject license and add more law to your life, you need to reject them both and step into grace. Because grace is the undergirding element. Like grace is the undergirding element in verse 14. Right? In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to us and the Gentiles. We have these blessings in Christ Jesus. We have these blessings because of grace, not because of anything we've done. And it's, grace is not like a thing, as Gavin Ortland says, it's a, in Gentle and Lowly, it's a person. Grace comes to us in Jesus. And he goes on, and he says, let's press into this inviolable principle in the economy of the gospel. We've been speaking of God's grace and the way it is drawn out, always to match abundantly the need for it, but there is, purely speaking, no such thing as grace. That's Roman Catholic theology, in which grace is a kind of stockpiled treasure that can be accessed through various carefully controlled means. But the grace of God comes to us no more and no less than Jesus Christ comes to us. In the biblical gospel, we are not given a thing. We are given a person. And I would add, that person is Jesus. So we've seen in the passage, uh, Galatians 3, 6 through 14, and, and also the overwhelming testimony of Paul in his letter to the Galatians, is that we were saved by grace, by the grace of Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. And we should continue to walk in step with the Spirit of Jesus inside of us. So not only do we, we reject that spectrum of legalism and, and license, because they both spring from the separation of God and the law, we run to the person of Jesus, run to grace, embrace grace. But we not only embrace grace, we embrace the, the grace of Jesus Christ, because he is how we receive that grace. Grace comes to us in a person. It comes to us in Jesus, and it culminates. The whole passage culminates in Jesus, right? The, the cure for the spirit of legalism found in Galatians and in our own lives and the call to reform is grace, and grace comes to us in Jesus and his presence inside of us through the Holy Spirit, as we see in verse 14. 
And so we are always to be reforming ourselves to look more like Jesus. The call to reformation, the call to align more to God's will is not add more law, not add less law, but that it's to be more like Jesus. We need to hold up our beliefs, our thoughts, our actions to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And we've seen in our passage the five solas of the Reformation. We've kind of done this mashup of a sermon and, and pulled out these five solas as, as a means to, of Reformation, as, as the Reformers have pulled them out and distilled them for us. And yet Paul masterfully uses them throughout Galatians to call us not to less law, not to more law, but to walk in step with the Spirit of Jesus. And so the call to us is a call to reform our hearts, minds, and lives, to interpret Scripture in light of Christ, that our faith is in Christ which gives us the power to live. And the life we live is for the glory of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit alone. And our salvation is by grace alone, through the person of Christ alone. May we be always reforming, Semper Reformanda, our hearts and our minds and our lives to that of Christ alone. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, how inadequate are words to truly portray the wonderful, glorious truths of the gospel that we are um, condemned under the law, and yet you have made a way by your grace that we could be uh, made right with you. We found salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that uh, we might go from here today lifting high the name of Jesus, uh, loving you more, and serving you not out of a, a rejection of legalism or serving you out of rejection of license, but serving you by the grace that you give through Jesus, who comes to us um, even even when we are burdened with law, when we are burdened and condemned by our sin even, uh, and, and tells us to take his yoke upon him, to learn from him, for he is gentle and lowly of heart, and we will find rest for our souls. May we find that rest today in, uh, as we go uh, about our day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.